twelve times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. The Lord is blessing to the reading of part of Psalm 34. Psalm is simply a poem sung to music, accompaniment, perhaps even stringed instruments. And so a psalm is a beautiful psalm. If I were going to go back, if I were to tell you the story of why I was taken to the Ukrainian jail in 1999, I would have to backtrack to what we were doing in the first place and give you the back. And then once you learn the backstory, of why we, oh, that's why you got there. Tonight we're going to learn the back story of how Psalm 34, as part of our lesson tonight, how it comes into being. And I think it's so important that you realize why David pens this psalm for us, as well as Psalm 56. Maybe you're not aware also, but Psalm 56 was also penned after the event we're going to talk about tonight. The little heading at the beginning of the psalm, sometimes we simply overlook that and don't read it. A psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. If you look at Psalm 56, just the heading of Psalm 56, we find out that, Psalm 56, to the chief musician upon Jonathan Alemreko, Kim, whatever, it's a big word, uh, when the Philistines took David, him, in Gath. And so 56 also, we believe, was written fairly recently after the events of David going into Gath. So that's the, that's the beginning. And we talk about just a few questions now, first of all, to set it up. So question number one, what was the fought, the big battle in the Valley of Elah? What was that? David and Goliath, right? And that was interesting. Philip says that Goliath was ten and a half feet tall. That's a big, big man. He's a huge man. How long had he taunted Israel? How long? Forty days. He's taunted Israel. Bring me down some. It surely be like Hulk Hogan uh, would have come on, you know, and the forty, you know, a lot bigger than Hulk. I mean, it's like we don't know anybody this size of Goliath. He's like bigger than anybody we've ever seen, most likely. What God of Philistia, question three, was known to be worshipped by the Philistines, the same God who had his head off uh, the second night when the, it was Dagon. Dagon was the God of the Philistines, and so uh, they were, they were worshipping false gods. The slaying of Goliath not only spelled triumph for David, it spelled trouble as well. We think of it's perhaps the greatest single singular military victory of all time, perhaps. I mean, if you want to call, I know the Six-Day War was amazing when God watched over Israel. It's interesting there's when God gets involved, what amazing things happened. And David, who was a little runt, you might say, maybe, I, I don't think he was a huge fellow, uh, he beat Goliath, who was the, the champion of champions of all of Philistia. By the way, Goliath had how many brothers? Do you remember? 
three, and one another one wasn't named. Four total brothers, and they all were. What happened to them? The Israelites got them all, and so uh, it, it was. Uh, and can you imagine now? We don't think about this. How many stones did he take? Five stones. One Goliath, four brothers, in case they would chase him. And so uh, that, it's, it, it's interesting. But how did the victory then spell trouble? Because Saul, well, Saul didn't like David. Just turn with me now if you're over here to Saul, 1 Samuel 18. And I can tell you one reason why Saul did not like David. It's because he was put behind David in popularity. Saul, 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18. 18 verse 6 and it came to pass as they when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine after Goliath's death the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to beat King Saul with tabrets with joy and with instruments of music and the women answered one another it's antiphonal that's what it's called as they played and said Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands and Saul was very pleased. That's what it says. Saul was very raw. My goodness, this little upstart who just killed one guy. Now he's they're singing about him when I've been doing the yeoman's work all this time. And he didn't like it. 24, 25 total times Saul tries to get David killed or kill him himself. At least twice with a javelin to the wall, etc. He promised him Mirab. In 1817, he promised, and Saul said to David, Behold, my elder daughter Miriam, her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me, etc. And fight. The, and so he never he reneged on that, gave him to another man. And then he found out that Michael liked him. And so, oh, Michael's going to be a snare to him. I'll give David Michael. And so go kill 100 Philistines. And he went out and killed 200. And I was, I was sort of like the, the bounty for the dowry for Michael, if you would. Then he was hounded. He embroiled him in fights. He, he sent a gang of bullies to kill him at night. Michael let him out over the wall or lay him out the window, etc. And then he, and I think David the war started wearing him down, as you well know. Saul's chasing. Can you imagine being hounded? I think of, 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 like a deer. And once in a while you'll see dogs running a deer. Now, I feel bad for the deer because they're like, the dog just keep going and the deer's running, running, escaping. The dog, and they're trying. And that's way David hounded. Think hound, hounded. He was hounded by Saul all his time. And finally, top of page two now, at last David's faith fails. Fear of Saul temporarily replaced the faith of the Lord. By the way, fear is always the enemy of faith. So David flees 23 miles to the city of Gath. Now remember, think just for a moment, who was the star of Gath? It was Goliath. He's just killed Goliath in a recent. He probably has the most wanted posters on all the the uh, you know the the Gath State's post office there. You know America's or Gath's most wanted, Philistia's most wanted, dead. It has to be alive, but we really want him dead. We want him to be gone, and he goes to that place. Now, what would drive David to go to Gath? It is fear. He's trying to escape Saul. He, he's tired of fighting it. He's tired of the fear of Saul hanging over his head all the time. And he wants to rest. He thinks, and rightly so, Saul won't go into Gath because he's afraid of the Philistines in their hometowns. And he was, he was right about that. So on the way, in 21.1, if you look over at 1 Samuel 21.1, 21.1, and David, then came David to Nob, 
By the way, that was where the tabernacle was located, uh, the area. Uh, and Ahimelech, the priest, Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? Four lies, one verse. And David said unto Ahimelech, the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business wherewith I send thee, and what I have commanded thee. And I have appointed my servant to such and such a place. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread of my hand, or what there is present. So Ahimelech was the one, Ahimelech was the one who could give the show bread away. David asked for that. He was, the high, he was the priest at that time. Now what happened to Ahimelech and 79 other priests of Nob in 22 verse 6? Saul comes over, heard about all that happened. He asked the Israelite men to kill them. They said, no. Doeg the Edomite said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he, can you imagine what's awaiting for him at judgment time? Killing 80 of the Lord's priests, Israel's priests, for no good reason, simply because they helped David. Now, there were two items he asked in question number seven. First was the showbread. What was the second item he asked for? Goliath's sword. So can you imagine now, he goes back to Gath with Goliath's sword. Isn't that Excalibur on your back, David? I remember remember Goliath had that specially made because it's so heavy, no one else can hardly handle it. Well, it might be, perhaps. The purpose of going back, question 8, was the fear of Saul. Clearly, the Bible says in 21.10, the Bible says, And David rose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish the king of Gath. Fear of Saul. Question number 9, we've already talked about this. After the slaying of Goliath, how do you think the people of Gath felt about the upstart shepherd? Quite unhappy. Public enemy number one, I am sure. And I was interesting that I was listening today to uh, one of the podcasts, and as you know, probably know, one of the guy who designed the bomber, the bomb for the airplane crash in 35 years ago, has been extradited to America. And people, and, and rightly so, the families of those who were killed have been pushing for some kind of justice. Can you imagine? That's 35 years. These people, it's not been 35 years that David killed their champion. And so um, you can imagine that people know who David is, and he's not well liked at all. So when David shows up, says Philip's in Gath, seeking political asylum, does one not need, one does not need to be a prophet to guess what happened. He says they clamped him in irons, and it's so often, I, I, you know, I, where in the world did he get that? Well, if you go back to the little heading on Psalm 56, which we read earlier, it says here in 56, the heading, when the Philistines took him in Gath. So it's very possible that he had been under some kind of arrest or captured or put in jail or prison. Look, now look what he says also. It will, it will, will literally brighten up or help to make little bells go off. If you read the first three verses of Psalm 56, in light of escaping from Gath, be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. My enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Talk about being afraid. He's got Saul on one from one country. He's got the Philistines on another. And they all want him for dead. 
And so what time I'm afraid I'm going to trust in thee. This psalm was written after the experience of escaping God delivering him out of the hand of the Philistines. We do not know what David told Achish, still on page two, but my but any story he would have contrived must soon have been discredited by the sight of Goliath's sword. Question 10, what emotions were actually did he actually have when he arrived in Gath? In 21.12 of 1 Samuel, he had fear. What's going to happen? Uh, he must have been pressed out of measure for David to leave Israel and go to the very city of Goliath. And so but he was there. Psalm 34, bottom page 2, is an acrostic in the Hebrew language. And what does that mean? Each verse starts with a sequential letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, we, I have read poems, like from Thanksgiving, it's like A, uh, abide with him, B, B you know, B, whatever. And we take A, B, C, D, all the way down through Z, and we'll have a little sentence with each letter. And help. But uh, in Scripture, in the Hebrew language, there's Psalm 25, Psalm 119, and Psalm 130, 145, or acrostic as well, helps you to memorize it. So if I, A... We used to have, my wife and I started uh, a long time ago when we had children at home, Medlock. And they're little like business side cars. And I can remember the one had a train on the front. And that was your mental cue. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Excellent little cues to help you to remember the verse on the other side of the card. And so that I can imagine now this, this, the Holy Spirit prompting David to do a psalm, an acrostic psalm, I think there's a couple extra verses in here, but beyond, there are at least a couple of them beyond, at least in Psalm 25, beyond the Hebrew alphabet. But that's the idea to help us with memorization. Spurgeon says, again, the second alphabetical psalm, the first one was Psalm 25. Question 12 on page 3. What is the advantage of using that? Of course, it's Bible memory, Bible key, etc. Help you remember to start. And 13, after the Gath episode, who then was gathered to David? I'm reading now from 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 21, 22, 1. 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 says for us, David therefore departed thence and escaped into the cave of Dulam. And when his brethren and all his family's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 very discontented men. 400 rabble-rousers, if you would, when they started, 400 of these. So just think, now David's going to use the first 10 verses as a praise, and then the second is going to be sort of like a teaching after that, like a teaching verses. Listen, I've been there. We can trust in God. Does it encourage you when someone else, well, the Lord answered this prayer? Wow! Mr. Womack said, I looked for my keys or something, you lost that, and I prayed, and the Lord reminded me where they were. Things like that happen, and the Lord's good like that. And then perhaps he does a marvelously huge thing. And, the, and it's the Lord, and when we hear those testimonies, like, wow, what a wonderful God we serve. He wanted his experience and his escape. And above all, the lesson he had learned to be remembered. So he cast into song Psalm 34. And what is not here? What is not here is all his exploits. Well, I want you to know, I had to pull out glass sword and three of the people, I had to whack off their heads and on the way out. And I had to act so crazy. And I was, what I, none of that. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Can you imagine now the 400 discontents who are there with him? And as he starts training them, and by the way, I think probably some of them became those 30 people who were his great warriors and those three who were, I think that's all where this came from. He, he trained them and then they became absolutely loyal to, to David. Remember, three of them snuck in to got the water from the, the well, the Bethlehem well, and got that, and he poured it out. And they were so loyal to him. They were great warriors. And in your outline, part of, of this psalm is a psalm. Part two is a sermon. The first part's devotional. The second part's doctrinal. The first part talks about the grace of God. And the last part talks about the government of God. And we're up to David's praise. I think we're on page three, toward right in the middle. David's praise. This again, adapted from John Phillips' commentary on the Psalms. By the way, we owe a debt to people like John. And, and Charles Spurgeon, it's called The Treasury of David. I have all three volumes. It mine's three volumes. 25 years of his life. He spent, the Bible I hold in my hand, was Henry Morris writing down for 25 or 30 years his notes as he studied. And we are indebted to men who give that much of their lives. And after every, after maybe 30 or 40 Psalms, he puts, Spurgeon puts a new page in there. I'm going to endeavor now to start the next section. Pray for me. And it's just amazing that and preached. These, like, I don't know how long the sermons are. I'm imagining when he preached them an hour at least at the tabernacle in London, and eight, and people were thronging to get in to hear him preach. And he had, I think it was like five thousand when he could preach to five. I think that's how big the church was, and people lined to get in to hear him speak. And yeah, he had time, took the time to to write all these things for us. So we are indebted to uh, the men who've done that. Now, back over to our Psalm 34. The little caption says, "A Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech." who drove him away, and he departed. And you're going to say, well, just a minute. Now, I'm thinking back to the scripture read earlier. He went to see Achish. It said Achish, and it does say that. Abimelech was king of Gath, the same with Achish in, in 2120. But now, perhaps he had two names, or Abimelech was a dynastic name. Darius was a dynastic name. Pharaoh. A lot of people were called Pharaoh, so-and-so, Pharaoh, so-and-so, President, so-and-so, President, so-and-so, etc. And people in the Old Testament had two names. I'm going to give you the one name. You give me the more familiar name. How about Jerubbael? Jerubbael. Jerubbael? How about was his, who is his, who do we know him by? Gideon. How about Jedediah? That sounds like from Western or something like that. Solomon? Mataniah, Zedekiah the king. So there's a lot of names that we... Now, if I said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you would say... Very good. Yes, you got those three right. Very good. And so that, two names, regardless whether it's Abimelech, Achish, two names, or that was a dynastic name of Abimelech, we find that this is the same person, and there's not a discrepancy in Scripture at all. His name simply means father, king, or royal father. Although the gratitude of the psalmist prompted him, thankfully, to record the goodness of the Lord and vouchsafing him or delivering him, yet he does not weave, again, the incidents of his own personal exploits. It's, it's an amazing thing when you think of David, the strong warrior, pretending to be insane, letting his spittle dribble off his beard, whatever, etc., in order to escape. Uh, he must have been an excellent actor as well. I was telling Mr. Uh, Max, who is a 
history guru. I said, Mr. Max, I've got a tip for you. Did, did you know, here's your history lesson or point from the day. Did you know that John Wilkes Booth brother, Edwin Booth, saved Robert Lincoln from being hit by a train in the subway in New York City. Robert had fallen off the edge and the train was going to hit him. And Edwin Booth, John Wilkes Booth's brother, reached out and pulled him up and set him back on the platform and saved Abraham Lincoln's son's life. And Edwin Booth was a, one of the great Shakespearean actors in America. Uh, but uh, he had a completely different political mindset than John Wilkes. And John Wilkes and his father both had bombed out of acting, but Edwin made a career at acting. And interesting that he's actually, and Robert knew who he was and thanked him, said, Mr. Booth, thank you so much for saving my life. And so it's a, just an interesting, true story about, uh, and, and, and Max said, that's like one in a trillion chances happening or something like that. And, and, but it happens. Here we find the, the amazing thing. God works in the lives of David here. It works in the lives of his men and the gratitude. It doesn't talk about all that he did, all that happened, how he changed, etc. But he does talk about his wonderful Savior, what David resolved in verse 1. I almost would like to say, take each of the first phrase, I, I says, I'm going to do it. It was like, I'm going to resolve that even though I have done wrong and I've doubted God for a while and I really did a really stupid thing, I can't use the word stupid, to go to Gath, I, and I will, I will. The new cat in our premises, Mozart, has, he does not obey anything. And we will say, get off the table. Get off the table. Get off the table. And just right back over. And I was talking to Mrs. Bates. I was telling her the story. She said, I would have me a baseball bat. And I said, oh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. And, and, and he will, in his mind's eye, he is going to do what he wants. I will get on that table. And we will get you off. I will. I will. And so he says, I will. You must determine that you will praise the Lord. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. I will bless. He's going to bless the Lord. The Lord is delivered. And who's he blessing? The Lord. L-O-R-D in caps, Jehovah. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. Boy, you can just, just take each of those words and ask, what a principle for us. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. And it was Jehovah, not some secondary causes to gratitude that he rendered. And I like this phrase. Spurgeon says, the Lord hath by right a monopoly on his creature's praise. Amen. He does. He has a monopoly. There's, there's no... Uh... Now, there's a lot of different monopoly games now. There used to only be one. And that's still the best one. Park Place. And we never hardly play anymore because, etc. My mom and dad, would, they would never play because it took so long. And I understand why they say no now. But there we are. But there's a lot of Monopoly games. It might even be a Greenup or a Portsmouth Monopoly. I'm not sure. But I can tell you there's only one God who has a monopoly on the praise that we are to render. And that's Jehovah God. Even when a mercy remind, may remind us of our sin and with regard, regard to it, as in this case with David's deliverance from the Philistines, we are not to rob God of his honor because our conscience justly awards a disapproval of our part of the transaction. Just because we, have, we can't rob God of his honor just because we recall 
Well, we were so out of shape. Praise you, Lord. Did you, even despite my mule headedness, you provided, you led, you directed. And I like this. I, I don't know if it's Phillips or Spurgeon. Though the hook was rusty, yet God sent the fish and thank him for it. David was in the, in, he was in the enemy's camp. He had not been, and later on, he goes for 14 months into the enemy's, he doesn't pray one time that we know. I mean, we never, no recorded prayers for 14 months in the enemy's land. But the hook was rusty, yet God sent the fish and thanked him for it. Lord, please, I will bless the Lord at all times. Every situation and every circumstance before, in, and after trials, in bright days of glee and dark nights of fear, he would never have been. He would ever have been praising. Never satisfied, though that he had done enough. Always feeling he fell short. And again, happy art is he whose fingers are wedded to his harp. Happy is he whose fingers are wedded to his harp. He who praises God for mercy shall never want a mercy for which to praise. He who praises God for mercy shall never want a mercy for which to praise. Mr. Bradford was getting ready to be killed, martyred, I believe. And speaking of Queen Mary, at whose cruel mercy he lay, he said, if the queen be pleased to release me, I'll thank her for it. If she will imprison me, I'll thank her for it. If she will burn me, I'll thank her for it, etc. And so should be the believing soul. Let God do with me what he will, and I will be thankful for that. That should be our heart's cry. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know, if men's mouths were always filled with the praise of God, there would be all, all this repining against God or the slandering of neighbors, etc. would be done away with. I like this in the little quote. If we continually rolled this dainty morsel of praising God under our tongue, the bitterness of daily affliction would be swallowed up with joy. If we would just count our blessings. Isn't that a isn't that a, a wonderful way? Question 14, what are we reminded of the effect, an effective antidote to the poison of doubt, depression, and despair? It's counting our blessings, God's blessing, praising God, His continually being upon our mouth all the time. In Genesis 42, 36, question 15, it was Jacob who forgot. Oh, woe is me. I've lost Simeon. I've lost Joseph. I'm Benjamin. They want to take Benjamin. I just have nothing left. At the very same time, Joseph's likely being promoted to second of all of Egypt. And God has him just where he wanted. And in the fullness of time, he came to be born for us. Amen. And so, aren't you glad about that? I had a wonderful discussion this morning. A lady came in the office. First question, question number two, and what about the wise men? Where's the East? And I had, we had a wonderful quick five, ten minute conversation. A couple of one other came in and I had a chance to tell about what the Bible says about the wise men. But he came. And we are to praise him that he came to the earth to die for us. And that's what the Christmas season's about, in my thinking. And may we rejoice in that. We got through verse 1. But I think you needed to know why David wrote this psalm. And that just brings it. I will praise the Lord at all times. Even in Gath. Even out of Gath. Let's pray. Lord, I pray tonight that you just help us to rejoice in what you've done for us. Thank you for this wonderful psalm. Look forward to studying it further. Help us with all the activities of this weekend. Keep everybody safe. Those who are ill tonight, pray to strengthen them and bring them back out. 
and uh, Lord, pray for those who are traveling. I think even now some watch over them. For Ian, I pray, Lord, that he would feel better and that his head would stop hurting so much. And give us safety now as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.